Uh, I'm supposed to talk about, as the first speaker, the history of obesity epidemic. And uh, I have chosen to concentrate on our own little country, uh, the, uh, Denmark, with only 5 million people. But the fortunate thing is there that we have really the clear, homogeneous data that can perhaps tell a story about how this thing developed. Before I do so, <clears throat> I'd like to uh, introduce you to my idol. Uh, I'm, I'm 63, but I'm feeling young. I, I need idols. And this guy here is perhaps the best scientist we've ever had out of Denmark, uh, maybe competing with Niels Bohr, the uh, nuclear physicist, Nicolaus Stenonis. He's a Danish scientist born in 1638. Until his 36 year, in 1674, he described the structure of the brain. Everybody thought at that time it was just a gruel. He started reflecting about what the structure means in terms of function. He was the first to discover the existence of exocrine glands. He was the first to identify the heart as a muscle pump rather than an organ producing blood. Uh, he was the first to describe the skeletal muscle structure function and possibly a muscle can contract. This was rediscovered 300 years later by some Americans. They realized the discovery was made 300 years before. And many other things in geology, paleontology, and crystallography. So he, he, he was just amazing. And I, I, there was a reason for introducing you, uh, you to him, uh, which would be clear at the end of my talk. Now, what can we learn from the prevalence trend studies of obesity? <clears throat> what can we learn from the analysis of the rising prevalence of obesity during the last decades? I think we start to need to assume that the rising prevalence is due to rising incidence rather than rising duration of the condition. Um, there is and there must be at least one so far unknown environmental determinant of obesity that has risen before the observed rising prevalence. I need to share with you my opinion that we really know much less about the real causes of obesity than we usually think, and the only balance the equation that's not particularly helpful in my opinion. What then, and at what age, in which years has the exposure taken place? We need to know to find out what it is. We have been fortunate enough to get access to systematic measurement of height and weight. Um, this picture is a bit older before the weighing was going on, and for the women I can tell you this is not the way it goes on today. <coughs> um, the kind of data I'm working with here is, um, I think there was a point or somewhere. So, anybody have a point? No, you have uh, across the yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you see this table a couple of times, and then the first part of it is really um, this, this first corner uh, here. And this, this is about the kind of data that we scrutinize for obesity from, from uh, the draft board records. And we'll get back to the other parts of the table later. Uh, we made a random sample out of this population. And we were very surprised to see, thank you very much. We were very surprised to see that since uh, year of examination in 1943, uh, since there are so many Brits and American here, I need to tell you that the Danish society was actually functioning until 1933, irrespective of the uh, uh, German occupation. And then it's, uh, there was a break, and then we had data from 1947 and onwards. And actually, the median body mass it didn't change at all. The sense of the sense of power that distribution didn't change. There was a little bit of a rise here in the early 60s, and this is mainly Copenhagen capital region, and this is outside, it's a little bit higher. 
Um, and, and, and when you see the next one, you'll understand the importance of making a very clear distinction about what is going on secular, in terms of secular trends in the central part of the distribution versus in the tail. Because this is what happened in the tail. So this is year examination still, and, and this is prevalence of extreme overweight of obesity. It's actually bottom mass index exceeded 31 for, for some practical reasons. And what you see here is a completely stable level. This is 95% confidence intervals. And then a sudden rise started in 61, 62, etc. And here it takes off also from the provincial area. So in just a few years' time, we get up at about 7 or 10 fold higher level. Uh, and and uh, this was quite a surprise to us. We really couldn't understand. We thought there was something wrong with the data. But um, eventually we found out it was not. Then, uh, exactly as the previous speaker, we thought it was very important to see which birth year this was. So the first rise actually, and this is significant in itself, takes place in, in the birth year 1942-43, etc. Independent of the secession of the Second World War, it goes on and is at a higher level up here. Now, then we had a chance to go on. I, I should tell you, this is manual screening of draft board records. The first part I was sitting doing this myself together with a colleague. We looked at height and weight of some more than almost 500,000 records. It took us almost a year to get through all these old records. Later on, I had some gap uh, to, to, to do the others. And then we were very surprised to see, this is now by Bercia, that you had a stable low prevalence. And this is what you have seen before. The rise up here, and then a completely stable level when, when the welfare society in Denmark was developing. And then suddenly in 1971, something happened, and a dramatic rise took place. So it's really not a non-linear kind of thing. Uh, sorry, it's not a linear kind of thing. It, 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 it comes in waves with sudden starts. And that way, I think it's in contrast to what the previous speaker showed us. Now, the next obvious question would be, at what age did the obesity in the young men develop? <coughs> School has record making part of the answer. From 1930 until 1983, uh, we had uh, the opportunity to examine these old records, all school children in Copenhagen attending mandatory annual health exams, which we could use. And this took place both in public and private schools. Weight and height were recorded on health cards. Patients with parents reported both weight in the first examination. Uh, and, and then it has taken me about 25 years to computerize all this. And then this is. Um, uh, the kind of records we have, you can see them here. This one is from somebody born in 1934 and very, very neatly filled in with height and weight and date, etc. Um, <laughs> so, so the red side are all the records for the girls and the blues for the boys. <laughs> the first thing we did was a case deterministic cohort designed to investigate uh, how is childhood EMI really related to becoming obese and the entrance to adult life. And here's what you see. So this is a combination of draft board records and school records. This is a BMI in childhood at 7 year and 13 year, and here's the incidence of adult obesity defined the way you showed in the previous, saw in the previous graphs. And there's a very, very nice, very steep exponential rise. It becomes linear when it's locked. Uh, so the connection between the two is there, and, and this ends up in very high odds ratios. So it's a kind of continuous relationship throughout the range of BMI. But there's below the median, there's almost nothing. So it's really the other part of the distribution that matters. Now, the interesting question would then be, is it so that the rise in the epidemic from uh, <clears throat> before, to, uh, before 60 to above 60 
did affect the uh, relationship between the relationship to childhood uh, obesity. And you see, there was no change in the fundamental relationship um, between being obese and in, in entrance uh, to adult life and what happened in childhood. Exactly the same. So the epidemic didn't change this fundamental relationship between childhood and adulthood. Uh, so we can now question what age did the obesity in the young men develop? Uh, the obesity developed if, uh, both before, during, and after school age. The relationship between school age BMI and later risk of obesity was the same before and after the onset of the epidemic, quite surprisingly. Had the onset of the epidemic among the young men been initiated after they left school, which actually would match with the idea of the welfare uh, development of society, then the curves for the obese examined after 1960 would have been lower. Um, let's see if I can show you this. So, this, this one here would have been down here if this obesity phenomenon would be something that affected the individuals after they had left school. So this is a, a pretty important, important information about what was going on. Now, the next question is, at what age did the rise in prevalence first occur? The school health records make it part of the answer. could not be answered by the case cohort sample because the cohort subsample was too small to address this question. And therefore, we undertook this computerization of weight and height, measurement of all the children in the school records, and we have been using this for many other purposes, of course. So this means actually that now we only look at the boys, we also have the girls. Uh, this is the kind of numbers we're working with. So we have 164,000 uh, records in the computer now, and here you see the number of obese, and we also have birth weight uh, for a substantial part of these. The first thing is to see how does it goes with the distribution, the shape of the distribution. And here you see again from 1930, this is the first year we could get this kind of information, the year of birth, there's absolutely no change in the sense of power of the distribution, both boys and girls. There's a little bit of a rise here, a little bit of a non-linear rise in the top. But if you look at the tape, which I think is a very important thing to do, you see here, this is prevalence of obesity at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years uh, of age. We didn't go further because puberty starts to confuse the picture here a little bit. So you see the faces again in the kids. So this is a year of measurement pattern down here. And here is a smooth curve for the draft boards for the, uh, for the uh, young man at age 20. So the obesity epidemic is affecting the schoolboys much earlier than the draftees and obviously before the economic growth began. Also, the environmental change driving the epidemic did not affect individuals of any uh, of these ages equally. You have this, this difference here. Note that the change occurred about 10 years later in about 10 year older young men. So this is shifted to the right by year of measurement, 10 years. So that actually means that the trends, if you then readjust them by year of birth, the trends coincide by year of birth. This implies that the environmental changes driving the epidemic operate about around the time of births. The individuals may become susceptible within the first years of life. And this susceptibility may contribute around the genes to the well-known tracking of obesity over the ages. Now, what kind of data do you have in other countries? I wasn't aware of all the data you showed, but here is some from Australia. And, uh, and they have picked up from very different sources uh, information of, and I think in, in this age here, 5 to 15 years old Australian children. And what they found was, in fact, the same total weight 
which I think in some way reports for your findings. So it's there. And here in UK, you have, this is a almost classical paper by Susan Gipp and Andrew Prentice. Um, so this is, the, uh, this is the, the, the prevalence of obesity in this country. I talked to Andrew Prentice about the shape of this curve. And, and Andrew said, well, he didn't really believe that this was a, a significant information, that there was this phasic development of the obesity epidemic. But, uh, <clears throat> but when he saw my data, he was starting to reconsider it. Maybe there are actually this kind of phases also in the UK. Here you have the end of the intake, as was discussed before, and here the television viewing, uh, television, uh, viewing hours per week in Carpet household, which seems to coincide with the second phase. Now, <clears throat> uh, what are the expectations about the recent trends in the obesity epidemic? Here the one I've showed you. The epidemic of obesity has been developing rapidly over the past decades in most parts of the world. The prediction has been made that the trend would uh, continue in the forthcoming decade and that the majority of the people would be obese in 10 to 20 years' time in several countries. <coughs> Assuming unchanged relations between obesity and associated health problems, comorbidities and mortality, this prediction translates, of course, to huge public health problems that would challenge all sectors of society inside and outside the healthcare sector, and even maybe induce a decline in overall life expectancy. Uh, however, recent evidence suggests that the epidemic is taking a break, another break, I should say. So this was what I just showed you. You had stable levels among those born until 19, early 1940s. The rise to about tenfold higher level, stable period for about 20 years, the sudden rise again, where of course we could have feared that this was going on and on. Now, we had a chance to get back to the uh, that Danish graph for the recent ones from birth year 1978 and onward. And here you see them subdivided by age. And, and what, to our great surprise, was that absolutely no further increase among those born in this time period, completely in contrast to the one you saw here. So obviously we now have a second leveling off up here. And if you look at the, the obesity, the first one was overweight, this is obesity as defined by WSO. And here you see exactly the same thing again. No, no change whatsoever, year by year. We recently, and this is brand new data from our school records, <coughs> we, we uh, uh, had a chance also to see that there's a little trend still going on among the kids. As you saw, we had the same dramatic steep rise among the kids. But here, for overweight uh, girls and boys, nothing happened. There may even be a slight uh, decline here. And this is this is. When they enter school, this is when they leave school. And if you look at obesity, same picture. And, and, I, and, and I have a PhD student who is now trying to uh, dig up all kind of information all over the world about evidence for what is happening recently to the obesity epidemic in public databases and papers, etc., and trying to really reanalyze this and view it in, 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 in the background of our own previous studies. This is from the USA. This is the National Health Survey in the 97th percentile. And you see here, you have the years, 1990 to 2000, until 2005. Nothing happened. And whether this is not Hispanic white, not Hispanic black, Mexican American, nothing is happening. And this is published in the Anglo-Bible. So in summary, the prevalence of obesity and overweight has increased dramatically during the past 60 years. The epidemic has developed in two waves about 30 years apart between, between three stable periods. 
And, and this change in waves has almost not affected the central part of the BMI distribution, I should add. There seems to be a conditioning causes of the epidemic around the time of birth, either before, uh, uh, just before conception, it could be during pregnancy or after. These causes may constitute a permanent susceptibility that contributes to the tracking of the obesity in later life and may possibly also interact with the genes. Now, let's, try, let's, let's consider how to find targets for prevention. If the perinatal origin of the, uh, of the epidemic is true, it will clearly pave the way for preventable target in a limited time window at an age where preventive actions are commonly accepted, such as vaccinations. The obesity epidemic is by nature a historical phenomenon and I may require and it may require researchers in history to identify the driver of the epidemic. Uh, and the understanding of the history of the epidemic may provide the tools to avoid it in the future. I'd like to announce that the University of Copenhagen recently made a chair in history with a special focus on the history of obesity epidemic. And three of the PhD students associated with this chair is sitting up there. So we're really taking that seriously. This is a historical phenomenon. We need the historians to understand it. Uh, so this is where we are going now. The obesity epidemic is taking a break, okay? <clears throat> but it may just be silenced before the storm. So we have had these two increases with about one generation apart. Who knows what happens when you approach this a second, a third generation in this kind of waves. And I hope my dream come through here before that we one day may be able to prevent obesity by a specific short-term modification in the early postnatal life where the preconditioning for development of obesity seems to be set. And I'm not saying that, that this is a simple cause of obesity. I'm talking about the drivers of the epidemic as, a, as the thing that makes the change. And therefore, of course, if you identify that thing, then we have something we could put our hands on and reverse the history. And by this I would like to thank all of my collaborators uh, and also to you for your attention and I hope you have a safe trip in the future without uh, research of the epidemic. Now back to Leo Astronauts. When he was 36 years old, <coughs> he realized in a way that he could not get deeper in understanding by science and therefore he converted, uh, maybe simplified uh, science, uh, uh, interpretation of his, his move to Roman Catholicism. He became priest, he became bishop in another Germany which was very Protestantic at the time. He died very poor, he gave all his things out, uh, 48 years old, also a very painful death by a bladder rock producing a bladder stone in 1986, and then he was saint, uh, became saint in 1988. But here's what I like really from his understanding of his work. This is uh, Latin and I have forgotten my Latin, so I need help to translate this. So this is what, what one of the things he said which I really like. Beautiful is what you see. I mean, he was using his eyes more than any. More beautiful is what we know, but most beautiful is what we do not know. Mm -hmm. So this is why we Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.